following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in Him. If you've been following us, following along with us the past several Sundays, then you know that today is the final Sunday of a five-part sermon series that we've been going through, um, highlighting just different passages in Isaiah, specifically in the final third of the book of Isaiah, chapters four, chapters anywhere from chapters 40 through 66. And so today we will be in Isaiah 50, so you can go ahead and turn there. Before we get to that passage, I'd like to just refresh on some of the things that we've already covered, the themes and ideas that we've went over in the uh, previous four sermons to this one. So some of the things that we've covered in, in past weeks are that we've seen, for example, that Isaiah, these chapters and the, the final third of the book of Isaiah, they're, they're chock full of, tr- of glorious truths of, of God's revelation to us concerning his own nature and character. We've also seen many references to God's promises of the coming redemption of his people. We've also seen how Isaiah often calls his hearers to obey God and worship him for who he is. Isaiah also warns his hearers of judgment for sin. Specifically, in his historical context, we know that Isaiah warns Israel of the coming exile in Babylon. And he explains to them that this exile is God's judgment on them for their unfaithfulness to his covenant. They have not looked to God in faith, but have turned to the idols of the surrounding nations. They have ungrateful hearts to the God who freed them from slavery in Egypt, who gave them the promised land in Canaan, and who promised to be their God forever in an eternal, everlasting kingdom. And we've also discussed how we are not that different from Israel. We also turn to the idols of our age and find ungratefulness in our hearts toward God. So those are some of the things that we've covered in the previous sermons. And again, because Isaiah, his prophetic writings often cycle back to some of these same same themes and ideas, we're going to see some of those things again in our passage. And yet there's another major theme in that back final third of Isaiah that we have yet to cover in our series so far that we will be taking a look at in depth more this morning, and that is the theme of the servant, and Jordan kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier um, in his uh, prayer and opening remarks. And, uh, and, and yeah, and that is, so we're going to be talking about the theme, the theme of the servant, something that we haven't really talked about much up to this point in our sermon series so far. And some of you may be most familiar with the th- servant theme in Isaiah, because Isaiah 53 is a pretty well-known passage. It's commonly referred to as the passage of the suffering servant. And while that passage is well known because uh, it, it clearly prophesies the crucifixion of Jesus and the atonement that he accomplishes, it's not the only passage in Isaiah where, where the prophet makes use of this servant theme. There's actually four passages in Isaiah that are considered to be what they call the servant songs. 
and they each reveal different aspects of the character of the servant in each of those songs. Isaiah 50, where we're going to be this morning, is the third of those servant songs, and Isaiah 53 is actually the fourth and final servant song. So for our time this morning, though, we will be in Isaiah chapter 50, which includes the, this third servant song, particularly you can see the actual servant song that I'm talking about in verses four through nine, but we're actually going to be in the whole chapter. And so I want to talk more about this theme of what the servant means, but first I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter and then we'll dive in. So open up your Bibles to chapter 50 in Isaiah and, and read along with me. These are the words of God. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or, where, or, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert, their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to those, to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I, did, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them were out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Let's pray together. God, as we come to consider these things that you have for us in Isaiah chapter 50, the, um, the verses surrounding your, your third servant song, Pray that we would reflect on your character and all the things that you call us to do, the things that you call us to worship you for, and that as as we consider what you what you word has for us this morning, you would work in our hearts that we would hear these things and and continue believing, believing in you in your gospel and trusting in your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as Caleb pointed out last week it's helpful to notice that one of the things Isaiah does is he, he often repeats a pattern that, uh, that, that he likes to cycle through in his writings. And the, the pattern that Caleb mentioned was, was something like this. It was, four, it was a fourfold 
cycle, and it started out like this. It said, number one, Israel fails in their faithfulness to God. Number two, God comforts Israel with promises and actions. Number three, God reminds his people of who he is. And number four, God reminds his people of judgment for sin. And so one of the things that we see when we look at Old Testament writings, especially the the prophetic Old Testament writings, is that the prophets, they do. They often cycle back through similar themes. And so when you're you're reading them, um, sometimes it can feel maybe a bit repetitive. But we also see one of the things that they're doing is that they are varying these themes. So sometimes they go through themes and then they do another another pattern, another poem, another oracle, and some of those same themes are there, but they're maybe a little bit out of order or they're, he arranges something new. So basically he's just varying things to highlight different points that the prophet wants to make to his hearers. And so here today, that's true also. We, the pattern that Caleb outlined is similar to what we see here in Isaiah 50. And so what I'm gonna go over now is just kind of our outline for this morning. And, it, and it's basically kind of a, a variation on those same four those same four um, points in a repeating pattern that Isaiah uses. So today what we're going to do is, uh, is, is these four points. So number one, Isaiah fa- or excuse me, Israel fails in their covenant faithfulness to God. And we see this in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 50. Number two, we see that God comforts his people with his wise servant. This is the servant song itself, verses 4 through 9. Then number three, Isaiah calls Israel to follow God and his servant, and that's in verse 10. And then finally, number four, we see this in verse 11, God reminds his people of judgment for sin. So I'll repeat all that. So the first section we're going to go over, verses 1 through 3, is that Israel fails in their faithfulness to God. The second part is that servant song, verses 4 through 9, God comforts his people with his wise servant. The third part, verse 10, Israel, Isaiah calls Israel to, to follow God and his servant. And then the final section, the fourth section, verse 11, God reminds his people of judgment for sin. And, I, and I'll be kind of referring back to the outline, but now you kind of know where we're going this morning. So, okay, so section one, verses one through three. These verses are really the the prelude to the whole chapter. And as I said a moment ago, in these verses, what we're going to see is that Israel has failed in their covenant faithfulness to God. And this is an interesting part of the chapter because this is the only part of the chapter where we actually see Isaiah writing on behalf of God himself. He starts with that classic prophetic phrase, thus says the Lord. And so this is the only part of the chapter where we actually see God speaking directly and Isaiah is directly recording his words. And when you look at this passage, though, these, these first three verses, it is kind of strange. There's, there's a lot going on, a lot of metaphors and allusions, and it's, it's just kind of confusing, especially to, to maybe our, our modern years. There's a, there's a mention of divorce. There's a mention of selling slaves to creditors. There's a stinky river with dead fish. There's a sackcloth-covered sky. There's just a lot of strange things. So what is Isaiah recording here? What is God talking about here? Well, let, let me show you how these verses, um, how they illustrate that Israel has, 
has failed in their faithfulness before God. So what's happening here, like I said, we see God speaking, and what's happening here is that we're essentially stepping into a conversation between God and Israel, but here the only part of that conversation that's been recorded for us is what God is saying. However, it's not hard to guess what Israel had been saying based on God's response. So if you look at verses 1 through 3, especially verse verse 1, you can get the idea that Israel had been accusing God of divorcing them. And we also get the idea that Israel had also been accusing God of selling their nation into slavery. We get the idea that Israel is claiming in all this that they're just a helpless victim. So you can pick your metaphor, whether it's it's divorce or slavery, Israel is complaining to God that he has just abandoned them, that their exile into Babylon was unjust, that he was dealing capriciously with them. And at the end of verse 1, though, God, he puts their whining and complaining in context. God makes clear to them, as he has done repeatedly throughout Isaiah, that he is not to blame for their exile. Israel is. At the end of verse 1, God says, Behold, for your iniquities were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. God is reminding Israel that they find themselves in exile due to their own unfaithfulness to God. God has seen fit to judge the nation of Israel for their sins. For generations, Israel, the Israelites had grown complacent in their sin. They ignored God's warnings about the dangers of idolatrous pursuits. And in their exile to God, in, in their exile to Babylon, God is upholding his righteousness and condemning their unrighteousness. But in the same breath, God moves from assuring Israel that their exile to Babylon is indeed a just punishment to then moving to reminding them of his gracious nature to redeem them even in the midst of their sin. So look at verses 2 through 3. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. God calls Israel to remember his saving miraculous work at the Exodus. The plagues and the exodus out of Egypt are what all these references in verses 2 and 3 are about. The stinking fish and the dying fish, is that these are God's reference to that first plague in Egypt, it, the turning of the Nile into blood. And then the heavens clothed in sackcloth and the blackness in the sky, this is a reference to the ninth plague in Egypt, which was the darkness that covered the land. And of course, then, the drying of the sea, this is a reference to God's incredible parting of the Red Sea as he provided Israel escape from slavery from the brutal Egyptians. God is reminding Israel that even in the face of their punishment and exile, he is working to bring about a redemption that is even greater than the redemption that Israel saw in the Exodus. God is saying to the Israelites, Remember, I redeemed you out of Egypt, and I will redeem you again if only you will trust and rely on me.
Before we move on from these introductory verses, just take a moment to consider that we're not all that different from Israel. Like Israel, we can find ourselves comfortable with our sin. We get used to it, blind to it, desensitized to it. We get complacent. We ignore God's exhortations throughout all of scripture to keep repenting of sin and continue on in believing the gospel. And then when God calls us on our complacency, whether that's like through the rebuke of a friend or just our own reading of scripture and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, sometimes our initial reaction is to grumble at God, frustrated that our sin has been exposed. For these times, consider the words of God in verses one through three. Remember that yes, it is our sin that rightly deserves God's judgment, but also remember that God is a redeeming God. Just as he saved Israel at the Exodus through Moses, all the more he has saved us through Jesus Christ. It is in him that we find forgiveness and the strength to repent of our rebellion and selfishness and, and press on in faith. And this is why I said that verses one through three are the prelude to this, this chapter. God's allusion to his redeeming work in the Exodus foreshadows the redeeming work of the mysterious servant whose servant song we will now be looking at in, in the second part of this passage in verses four through nine. And I, and I call the servant mysterious because when we consider how Isaiah's audience would have heard this passage, they would not have fully understood who this servant is. They would have just understood only the limited information that Isaiah would have been able to provide them about him. So look at, let's look at the servant song now, verses four through nine. And as I said in my outline of the passage earlier, what we'll see here is that Isaiah's point in this servant song is that God is communicating his comfort to his people through his wise servant. And we see several attributes of the servant in these verses. The first thing we see in verse 4 is that the servant receives wisdom from God. Verse 4 begins, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. The servant has received wisdom directly from God. And so he has the role of a sage and a wise teacher. And to what end does he teach? He sustains those who are weary. Verse 4 continues, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. This is a comfort to weary Israel. Even in the midst of the exile, which is a just punishment that they do deserve, God is still mercifully aiming to comfort Israel. And as we continue reading in verse 5, we learn further that the servant has daily fellowship with God morning by morning. We learn that he is not rebellious, that he follows the ways of God. We see in verse 6 that he is despised by violent men who do him harm. In the midst of this suffering, God provides strength to the servant to withstand the suffering. The servant is confident that he will be vindicated, and he is confident that his accusers will be destroyed. Look at verses 8 and 9. We see that clearly. He says, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? 
Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. In all this, we get a striking portrait of this servant. He is righteous, humble, wise, God-focused, confident, and victorious. And this servant is meant to inspire comfort to God's people during this time of exile in Babylon. Like I said, we see in verse 4 that he knows how to sustain a word with a word, him who is weary. This is a tender and victorious and righteous servant. And he is not only a comfort to Israel, but he is also their leader. This brings us to verse 10, the third part of our passage. Like I said in my outline, in verse 10, what we're going to see is that Isaiah calls Israel to follow God and his servant. He says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light in the name and has no and has no let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is actually the first time um, in this passage that we actually see the servant identified as the servant. So now when we see that, we we understand who is speaking in verses four through nine. It is the Lord's servant who Israel is to be comforted by, and now who we also understand who they are to follow and obey. As this servant obeys God, Israel is to obey the servant and follow his example. And as the servant trusts the Lord and relies on his God, Israel is to trust the Lord and rely on their God. And this servant song, of course, it applies to us today as well. And it applies to us in a very significant way. So most of this morning, I haven't talked about exactly who the identity of the servant is. The purpose for that is I wanted to put ourselves a little bit in the shoes of what it would be like to be an Israelite, hearing Isaiah read these oracles, and, and understand the limited information that they would have had. And even, even with that limited information, how they would have still been able to draw comfort from these things. But in the light of the revelation we have in the New Testament, uh, this passage certainly takes on a deeper meaning. We understand that Jesus Christ and the New, New Testament writers understood that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's servant writings. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, which I talked about briefly in the introduction this morning, but he, he's also the fulfillment of Isaiah 50. While Isaiah and Israel may have only understood these references to this mysterious servant as maybe just foggy mentions of a coming Messiah, for us, the fog has been removed, and we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's servant. And not only is Jesus the fulfillment of Isaiah's servant, he's also the fulfillment of the exodus from Egypt. As the writer of Hebrews makes clear, Jesus is the greater and better Moses. That means that when we understand these, uh, these things in the light of Christ, there are foreshadowings to Jesus all throughout Isaiah 50. Verses 2 through 3 foreshadow Jesus in references to the Exodus, and verses 4 through 10 foreshadow Jesus in his fulfillment of Isaiah's servant. 
And this has big implications for the church, for our church. When we read Isaiah 50, 4 through 9, we are reading a passage that is an exposition on the character of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And when we read Isaiah 50, 10, we understand that Isaiah is actually calling us to fear God and obey Jesus. Consider again briefly with me the sketch of the servant this in the servant song that Isaiah gives us in Isaiah 50 and meditate with me on the glories of Jesus Christ. From this passage, we see that Jesus, he is a wise sage, comforting the weary with wisdom directly given to him from his loving heavenly father. We see that he has a close relationship with his father, commuting with him morning by morning. He listens to God and does what he says. We see that he is righteous, perfect, following God in all his commands. He willingly gives himself over to the violent detestations of men. In his suffering, he is strengthened by his father and he knows that he will be vindicated as righteous and that his accusers will be put to shame. This vindication of Jesus and putting to shame of his enemies is no doubt fulfilled at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and as I want to direct our attention real quickly to Colossians 2, 13 through 15, where Paul, where Paul talks about this. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so the call that Isaiah makes to Israel in verse 10 is the same as the call to us. We are to fear God, obey Jesus, trust in the name of the Lord, and rely on our God. This call applies to Christians and to those who have not yet turned to Jesus in faith. This call is, goes out to all of mankind. So church, fear God, trust him, rely on him. Take his word seriously, do what he says, worship him, Trust him alone for your salvation. And to those who may be listening this morning that do not currently know Christ, the call is the same. Put your faith in Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, he will save you from your sin and give you a new heart. Trust him, and he will be your gracious God, Savior, and King. We come now to the final verse of this passage, verse 11. And this is, so this is the final, final section in, in my outline uh, where we see that Isaiah, he's, he's wrapping up his, his exhortations and the servant song with a sobering warning. He reminds Israel of God's judgment for sin. In our culture, we're used to movies and songs often ending on an uplifting and a positive note, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, Isaiah has seen fit to not do that and instead end the passage with a reminder to Israel regarding 
God's righteous wrath for sin. And in a sense, this kind of mirrors the way the passage began, the way he, he began in verse 1. However, the wrath spoken of in verse 11 is, is more severe than the wrath that God spoke of in verse 1. So in verse 1, we see that God's wrath is a temporary wrath, one in which he sends Israel into exile for a period of time, but even in the midst of that, there is the promise of redemption for those who would turn to him. Israel knows that for those who trust in God and put their faith in the coming Messiah, they will be saved from their sin. But here in verse 11, God's wrath is permanent. Isaiah is warning that for those who do never repent, they will lie down in torment. They will die in their sin, separated from God forever, facing eternal punishment in hell for their rebellion against an infinitely holy and worthy God. And these are hard truths, but they point us to God's righteousness, his holiness, and his zeal for his own name. By using the metaphor of a torch in verse 11, Isaiah explains the nature of this rebellion that warrants God's just eternal punishment. Isaiah is actually just continuing the metaphor of light and darkness that began in verse 10. So let's look at verse 10 and 11 together. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Isaiah, he's drawing a contrast between those who live of who live a life of faith in God and those who live in rebellion. To those who live a life of faith, God is their light. They don't need another light source. But to those who live a life of rebellion against God, they try to come up with their own light. In, in the words of Isaiah, they equip themselves with burning torches. In other words, they come up with their own principles for living. They turn to sources other than God to light their path. But this is idolatry. God, he did not create us to be our own authorities, defining for ourselves right and wrong, and inventing our own forms of wisdom. To see ourselves as having the ability and the know-how to somehow light our own path apart from the wisdom that God has given us, that is the root of all sin. God created us to live in his world following his ways, worshiping him alone. He calls us to this, not as an unloving, distant tyrant, but as a near, loving father who finds great joy in his creation, glorifying him with their lives. He is the very source and foundation of everything that is good, so it is his highest joy and his highest good to give us himself. And for us to turn from the good God who made us and go our own way, that is high-handed rebellion against our creator. And for that rebellion, he is just to punish 
our sin. And this is what Isaiah warns against in verse 11, attempting to equip ourselves with our own source of light other than God and his word is nothing less than idolatry. So just as Isaiah warned Israel of the dangers of unrepentant idolatry, we need to lovingly warn each other and those around us in the same way. For our good and, f- and for the good of our own souls and the souls of one another here, we need to heed and proclaim this warning as Isaiah did. And alongside that warning, just as Isaiah does, we also need to remind one another and offer the hope of redemption that is found through the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. In closing, um, I would like to end um, with reading question and answer one to the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one is a pastoral and tender question. It, and it gets, and the reason I want to close with this is because it gets at the heart of Isaiah's core message in chapter 50. In this chapter, we've seen that Isaiah calls Israel, and by extension the church today, to fear God, obey Jesus, and rely on him solely. Isaiah calls his hearers to repent of their sin, love God's word, and obey it. He calls his hearers to not think that they're wise enough to comfort themselves with so-called wisdom found outside of God's word. He calls them to find comfort in the promises and character of our triune God. Similarly, the Heidelberg Catechism question one asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, it's a long one, it's several sentences, but it's very, very good. So, so just listen the whole way, here we go. This is the answer to what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Let's pray together. God, we are moved by the words of, of Isaiah, by the comfort that uh, we, we know that even Israel, with their limited understanding of what, of who the servant is, what that they the comfort they could even draw from these these passages, and then now by your grace, we we live at a time where we understand even more fully these things. We understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the servant. We understand that He's the fulfillment of the Exodus, and God, you have made a way that we are now through faith united to you permanently and that you have taken our sin upon yourself. You have given us new hearts. You have given us righteousness. 
uh, in your sight. And so, God, we meditate on these things. We, we rejoice in these things. And we pray that we would be compelled to remind each other of these things just in, in normal daily life, to talk about it with others around us, and so that, um, that you would be glorified and that our hearts would be full with joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.